0: director and the actors to do be dealing with this play Mm -hmm. as well as to talk about the issue in general with people who do work in the community related to providing support for people who suffer from eating disorders
1: and the the purpose of your play is to kind of like show a little bit more (laughs) about this kind of topic and um is there anything else that you want to kind of um I, I heard this you went through a lot of revisions. So was there anything that you felt that um, that you had to kind of like c- cut out or that you wanted to keep in t- so that it can be true to your message about the eating disorder?
2: Um, my revisions, if anything, just became more specific. I see. Not just. Um, with time, they became more specific. And with every revision and every production, I become more passionate about this as being a project and not a piece. Because mm-hmm. um, after every performance thus far, I've had I have a lot of dads um, <laughs> that come up to me and and come to me and say, "My daughter, like I don't know what to do." And so mm-hmm. that made it that made it a um, a human project for me and. A thing to just because it happened, just because it's happened to me and my best friend, I think that's enough. I don't think that eating disorders, if I could make them extinct, mm-hmm. I would. And that's what I'm trying to do with this project. So, with each revision, <coughs> I just became more specific in my point mm-hmm. and more specific in what an eating disorder is and what it encompasses. Um, so, each time the project becomes for me it becomes more passionate and more driven towards changing mm-hmm.
3: this. Yeah, what we want to do is start a conversation. Essentially, like at the talkback, we don't necessarily want to get feedback for the script of per se, but what yeah. we we want to talk about how um people with eating disorders can cope with it, what mm-hmm. um resources are out there for them to reach out. For, um, or what other people's experiences are Or for the sake of um, people who don't want to talk about it Just to listen That here's an experience of a person That you can take home and just think about, really mm-hmm. And that
2: these experiences can be heard yeah. And we're extremely thankful to the Players Club for giving us an opportunity to um, address this issue mm-hmm. and give us a stage and resources and people, and it's been really amazing, and I think it's also a turn for amateur theater at UBC and the Players Club to start thinking about doing more theater um, that's socially um, and issue-driven.
1: Mm-hmm. Being more active in kind of uh, addressing these issues is what you mean, right?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: not that the Players Club is no. purely apolitical in course, in, I mean, in, in, in okay. our general activities, but I think um, in this particular script, the issue is really front and center. Mm-hmm.
1: And how is I know that for you, Ty, that this has been a really big part of your life, and that you've kind of made this kind of like form and gave shape to it. How have have you guys uh, worked as like a producer and a dramaturg and as a co director in terms with this kind of issue? how Has it changed your perception of it? and um could you tell us a little more about that? At first for me it was
3: it was very sensitive for me c- and I didn't want to um step over any lines and I felt mm-hmm. um very I was very careful in terms of how to go about and do this play and it's, that's why I made sure when I was talking to Ty in the beginning of this process that um, whatever I refer to, whatever suggestion I make, I'm allowed to make mistakes. And also, I am only referring to the story, not the real-life event that happened. Mm-hmm. That we are um, putting up the story, and I'll, I'll help you form the story and um, make the actors understand the story. But that won't necessarily be um, what happened in real life. Because some um, sometimes... Because I bring ideas or I um, make suggestions. Also, the actors do that as well. And sometimes um, they... They work for the story, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the same thing that happened in real life. Of course. Um, so we made sure that that we were on the same page for that, and this sort of made it easier for me to um, start working with the script. Yeah, and it's been fun. I mean, I've um, I resonate with the script a lot because, um, I mean, as a human being and also <laughs> as a woman, like, I've experienced a lot of not um, eating disorder as in I was diagnosed in one, but, mm-hmm. of course, body image and all that kind of stuff. It's and kind al- of forced yeah.
1: upon young girls at such a young mm. age, too.
3: Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. and so I was able to be very, like, passionate, and ties also a very passionate person, so I was inspired to just jump on the project even more than I would have normally, mm-hmm. and this is my first time co-directing, and... It's probably going to be ruined next time I co direct because this is such (laughs) an awesome time that I'm having. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been
0: really wonderful working with Ty. It's been a very different experience because the play is so founded on her personal experience, Mm -hmm. and that's something that we really need to honor and respect, um, whereas I'm coming in from this mainly just from being, running a theater club and working with theater and trying to make the best theater possible, which is also something that is invested in. Um, but to balance those two things is re- really, really important for this piece, and I've been trying to almost push the theater side of it more because I can't really help you with your personal experience. That's <laughs> Ty's job, you're the expert <laughs> uh-huh. of your personal experience. Um, so I asked Ty if we could bring in a co-director I wanted Sue to, to be on board so that we could bring in more people and get more mm-hmm. people involved in it, working on it, and more people passionate about it through, through making this as a theatre piece.
1: And Ty, you're also a first year BFA student, am I right?
2: Yes, b- BFA acting.
1: BFA acting. And I wanted to ask, how has your acting also lent to the, I guess, the evolution of this project?
2: Well, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the theater. <laughs> I read a lot of scripts. Um, and I'm also just super passionate about what I do and mm-hmm. um, working with other people, especially on this project, and bringing other people in because every time it adds a new layer to the story to see the way someone else interprets my words. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't, I haven't told um, the cast, well, we haven't told the cast things. Because of course, um, um the cast makes um we make decisions like where are they and everything mm-hmm. and we we separate that from the real story. And so um yeah, and that's really interesting to see the way people take my words and make them their own. Um and the way Sue is dug into my script so beautifully and I was like, Well that's a good metaphor <laughs> <laughs> Um has been really amazing. Yeah. And Sue is also a film production student. Yeah,
3: I'm a, what's um, what's great about working in under the roof of UBC Players Club is everybody's mm-hmm. from a different major, and they're not necessarily all um, pursuing theater as their main major in school. And I'm actually a BFA film production student, um, and so I come from the perspective of doing mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And in the with the Players Club, I've been I'm working with Ty, who's in BFA acting, and also. Um, all of our cast members, or actually except for one, um, they are all in different majors, in, like studying classical studies and mm-hmm. English and pol- policy, economics, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's it's been very interesting because people bring different stuff that they um, learn about at school, mm-hmm. and um, and that helps kind of form the like the variety of. I don't know how to put it, but <laughs> it's it's a
1: it's kind of like an yeah. al- it's not just like a specified like yeah. one kind of field does mm-hmm. this, but just a bringing of people together yeah. towards yeah. one uh, issue that and really affects yeah. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really it's really affect refreshing. girls too. It also affects guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I right, Rohit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I really love the Players Club because I've um, I started with them second semester, and I've seen a lot of people come in and just be wonderful on the stage and they're like I've never done this before and I'm like really (laughs) um yeah
3: And players club's amazing
2: I I work quite a bit with the players club um and Carolyn can talk to you
3: about that as well and um (laughs) I and it's it's always been a blast and I do I can um it hasn't been I haven't seen a play like this in terms of like addressing a specific Mm -hmm. issue in the society so that's also Mm -hmm. refreshing as well yeah Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it because
0: it was presented to us and it's not like anything that we've done in recent years Mm -hmm. um but it is so important and it really touched a lot of people when we read it
1: as it is a stage reading um, when audiences come in will they just uh, expect two actors kind of like sitting and kind of like talking or
3: um, for us, when we, when we <laughs> listen to the word stage reading, <laughs> <interpret> stage reading <laughs> it, plus. <laughs> it's that we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we're, we're gonna say stage reading plus. You get stage a little extra, plus. The little um, asterisk yeah. at the end of it. And you look at the
1: fine line. Sitting in chairs. Yeah, they
3: will. We will only we only had like two weeks um, of time to work <laughs> on this project, but we've been working very hard on it. So there is a little blocking incorporated, and there is a little bit of. incorporated there's no music or lighting but there are uh, there will be some surprising elements and our
2: actors are quite familiar with their s- script and what mm-hmm. they're saying yeah um
3: and we didn't want um their unfamiliarity to the is that a word <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> to the word uh, to the it's text <laughs> on thank you yeah. <laughs> uh, to the text to get in the way of us um Getting the story to the audience. Okay. So
1: we—that's what we focused mm-hmm. on while we were rehearsing. And uh, to kind of mention to all the listeners, this is on March the twenty-fourth. Is that right? Yes. yes. March Tuesday. 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 It's at Tuesday. Six thirty. Yes. PM. And uh, PM. Also good to know, <laughs> Yes. At the Dorothy Somerset Studio, and I believe it is a one-night extravaganza, and tickets are free. <laughs> And you guys are also doing a talk back after the show. Yes. With right.
0: The with the cast, with the directors, mm-hmm. and the playwright, and the nonprofits.
1: All right. Again, this production is called "Her Name Was Mary." It is held on uh, March 24th, at six thirty p.m. at the Dorothy Somerset Studio, produced by the UBC uh, Players Club, and it is free mm-hmm. <laughs> by donation. Yeah. And also, please <laughs> donate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Go. thank you so much for. Uh, joining us sorry
2: to cut you off you're gonna say come to our show
3: listen to our story and maybe tell us yours yeah Yeah.
2: and we are also having a bit of a reception after if you want to come talk to us so
1: well thank you again so much for joining us and best of luck with the show I'm definitely going to be dropping by awesome and um
4: Rohit Rohit. I'll be dropping by too (laughs) All right, thank
5: you uh, thank you to the UBC Players Club. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, we're just going to take a quick PSA break, but stay tuned for more Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. The Morning After show started last century with Jeremy Baker and Paul Gullett on 101.9 FM CITR radio. Oswaldo Perez Cabrera joined in 2001. Van Music has teamed up with Super Cheeto Productions and Ascenda School of Management to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the morning after show at the Rickshaw Theatre this March 24th with superstars Harabe de Palo and very special guests Los Furios and Caracas. Featuring one of Spain and Latin America's biggest bands, Harabe de Palo, playing their first show in Canada. This night will also feature B.C. Ska from Los Furios and the Latin punk of East Van band Caracas. The morning after show 15th anniversary party with Harabe de Palo this Tuesday, March 24th at the Rickshaw Theater. Tickets are $25 and are available at High Life, Neptune, Red Cat and Zulu. And welcome back to uh, the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Yeah, and now we're joined by uh, Christine Kim, one of our awesome arts reporters.
7: Hello. What's up, Christine? Well, last Wednesday, I went for a costume and set tour for the Triumph of Love musical that will be happening on the UBC campus. And throughout the tour, I actually had an interview with... um, the marketing and communications coordinator, Amy Strilchuk, as well as the director of the musical, Barbara Tomasik. And so what I'm going to be playing right now is clips from the interview. So the first person that I'm speaking to is Amy, and then the interview with Barbara comes right after. It's
8: definitely a comedy. There's no sentimentality crushes, deceiving people to try and get what you want, mm-hmm. and then all of the bits um, are very physical and very big and a lot of sexual innuendos. When actors walk over chairs, or bits where like someone is blind and then they're mm. tripping, but they're actually walking over chairs and like making their way smartly through a very treacherous situation, that's comedia. So it's physical lotsies, is what they're called, so there'll be a lot of that, and then a lot of physical jokes. They always laugh that there are sexual jokes to do with baguettes and topiaries and <laughs> it's an adult show but it's safe for kids because Barb will say it's like Disney for adults or almost like Shrek Adult in that double entendre is amplified in this show. So you know how sometimes there's a joke that won't offend a kid because it's not goes over their head but the adults know what it means.
7: And seeing as it is an eighteenth century play, but mm-hmm. it's now for it's remade to be more modern would you say that it's a pretty easy play to like follow along with um in the musical adaptation and barb can probably talk more about if she had read
8: the original text and the differences she sees but at least from me experiencing the show it's super accessible show that premiered on broadway Mm -hmm. so definitely is like accessible broadway Mm -hmm. um i wouldn't say it's super modern and like modern slang but absolutely contemporary Two nights ago, I did, um, it's called spacing. So the actors have just moved from the Dorothy Somerset to the theater. So they do a spacing rehearsal, which means they're making sure that their blocking that they've chosen matches what they believe would fit the lighting. Mm-hmm. So they block the show. The light lighting designer comes to make sure that he's setting lights to land in the place that they need them to. Mm-hmm. But they only get on stage... They do a run to make sure that, yeah, the light will hit them the way we want it to. We did space that (laughs) right okay, great. and if not, how are we going to move? And then the stage manager is out there um, re-notating just to Mm -hmm. make sure that if they reset where they're standing, she has a record of where they're going. So They just all come out into the house for that because it's a lot easier to communicate. I mean, we are a week from preview, so it's on track, it's in good shape, but every day there's definitely a, a focal point to what will be tweaked. Well, I asked Barb, because even when I found out we were doing a musical and I said this program, like this program doesn't specialize in theater, um, and she said the ones that were cast, they were all adept and ready for it because when she picks her MFA, because it's Barb's MFA directing, this is her thesis project for her mm-hmm. MFA um, program, or her degree. So when she picked it and I said, did you know if there were students graduating who were ready? And she's like, a lot of them are ready. I mean, obviously some just happen to be more adept singers. I think this cast probably more than some other programs know how to motivate a song, like find the truth of why they're now moving shifting to a more uh, emotional space whereas some musical theater programs it's just hit your mark, felt it there's no mm. meaning behind it That mm. I think our actors really know how to, they're so rude in text work that they They're always motivating their choices, so I think even if there were any areas where they felt like, oh, I really have to beef up up my footwork here, like Mm -hmm. get quicker on my feet, that at the very least when they're making choices in the musical, you feel like you're in a true story, Mm -hmm. not a song and dance show, if that makes sense. I have a really strong feeling that people will feel connected to these characters, Mm -hmm. not just feel like they're listening to some songs.
9: Of course, I'm Barbara Tomasik. I am the director for Triumph of Love, and I am uh, an MFA candidate here at UBC in theater directing. Uh, The show Triumph of Love is a musical, and it is a reverse fairy tale uh, in the Hmm. sense that it tells the story of a princess going after a prince. And so it's in that sense it's an adult fairy tale it has lots of really interesting characters Mm. Um, we have love at first sight as an element of the show we have mistaken identities the whole show takes place in a garden and it's a philosopher's garden and this princess who's filled with emotion arrives in a garden where that is void of emotion so the philosophers that live there believe that you should Mm. only live a logical and intellectual life And so what we find out in the play is these philosophers are also on a mission to dethrone this princess. Mm -hmm. And so she falls in love with the prince who wants to kill her. (laughs) Um, It's written in the style of, it's based on an old French play, but it's very modern in its, its delivery. The jokes are modern, the language is modern. It's really fun. The music is... The music reminds me of, like, a Disney animated film.
7: For this being an 18th century play, yeah. I was very surprised at how progressive some of the characters in the plot line yeah. it was. Well,
9: it's an adaptation by a, a New York writer, James Magruder. He rewrote Marivaux's script and adapted it so that it was modern. I feel like at that time, people were really starting to become more open about different gender norms, mm. different sexual... Um, orientation very much so like you know it was when people started to become more comfortable and the show was very much pushing that envelope Um, and it was very different very different when it came out in comparison to everything else that came out on Broadway it came out at the same time as Lion King that sort of Lion King was the first Disney musical that came one of the first big Disney musicals so this is interesting that it's kind of like anti it has that anti-Disney but same feeling I love the play. I think it's been really interesting for the students to explore all of those ideas, too. I mean, they're having to do things on stage that I think, you know, in the mm-hmm. context of a musical and a comedy are are really interesting to them. You know, they get to explore different relationships. There's two women that have a relationship and that sort of idea. And it's not, it's not sort of told in a way that's very... Um, it's not sort of an esoteric feel. It's like, oh, this is oh, this is. T- there's two women on stage kissing, or there's, you know, whatever oh, in the context oh. of a comedy. And all, you know, it's 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 really a lovely, lovely piece. Hmm. So I'm loving it. And you're right. It's very. It has a fairy tale esque. Our the set designer and I really looked at a lot of. I did a lot of Disney cartoon watching, and there's a romant, romantic side to them that is that is lovely, and the music is lovely. So, I watched Brave, and I watched The Old Alice in Wonderland. Which I've seen this play done um, where it's been set in a different time frame. I've seen it set in the 1940s. Not this one specifically, but another adaptation of it, the same story. And for me, it was the music that sort of tipped it into this feel. And it was the fact that there are so many different styles in the music that I felt that we needed something um, really clear to sort of combine everything. So we weren't confusing the world. So I set the play Hmm. technically in in 1732. So that time in France, that's sort of the setting of the play. So that is where these people live. Mm -hmm. And then what they talk about is Sparta, right? But it it very much lives in the world of Marivaux, which is the original writer. So Marivaux was this French writer who this play was actually produced in 1732. So I was like, well, I feel like we should put the play in that time frame because Mm -hmm. that is what the jokes allude to that time in France was sort of very lush. It's very sort of extravagant. And I felt like the Mm -hmm. play could really live in that because the philosophers um, really shunned that world of like lavish emotion. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, let's live in that world because then we have something to bounce up against. I don't know. For me, it was the music that tied it all together. It was also what kept bringing me back to like the Disney, the Disney film, right? Because if you watch a Disney film, like a Disney musical, like, Beauty and the Beast, for example. Mm-hmm. It's set in a specific time period, yeah. but if you listen to the music, all the styles are different. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, oh, that's where this lives.
7: Yeah. And seeing as you've directed so like, quite a few musical, mm-hmm. uh, musicals in your past and have this kind of expertise, what were
9: some of the unexpected, I guess, hardships? The context in which we're working. We're working in a school. UBC is not a musical theater school. So a Mm. lot of what's happening in this context is the actors are learning how to work within this genre.
10: Mm. And it's
9: different because you're having to do three things instead of one, right? You have to sing, dance, and act. I'm so grateful for the people we've cast because they are just 100% committed all the time. There's no one on on this team that is sort of not sure if they want to be doing this or Mm. they don't want to. There's no doubt. Like they just jump in wholeheartedly. I love what I do, but this has reminded me how much more I love what I do.
7: And Amy actually touched on this a little bit about the orchestra.
9: That mm-hmm. She said it was UBC theater students. Um, Chris King, our musical director, has sort of found musicians from all over. He works uh, for Theater Under the Stars. He works with Gateway Theater. He works, he works all over the Lower mainland as a musical okay. director. And so, yeah, we approached UBC Orchestra. I think they're in the middle of their last like the end of their term yeah, too. So yeah. it's hard to sort of coordinate. It would have okay. been lovely to coordinate. Hmm. And so we do have, I think we have two UBC orchestra students. Okay. I believe okay. our violinist and our cellist are both UBC orchestra, but I have to, I would have to confirm that. But the orchestra process is so different because we don't rehearse with them until two days before we open. Something called a sits probe, um, and then, which means sit and sing. <laughs> it's from the opera world, and that's when the actors and the orchestra rehearse together. And we do it once, and then we do we we have the orchestra again at our rehearsal. So literally, there's one rehearsal with everybody without any moving around. And then, yeah, hmm. it's such a collaborative process working on a musical. It's crazy. It, I love it. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. So I, I'm not complaining. I think music really moves people. Hmm. And my background is a classical pianist, so and singer. So well. I, that was sort of my initial route into theater. Was through piano, so, but I love it. I, I love it. I think when it's done well, it can really strike a chord
11: mm. because
9: of music. It kind of bypasses people's intellectual brain a little bit. Well, thank you
7: so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me, Barbara. And I guess as a final question for everybody um, who's listening to CITR Arts Report and thinking about coming to see Triumph of Love, can you just give, um, I guess, our listeners a
9: final word of what they can expect? I mean, this is a sexy, fun, joyful romp through a garden. And I think it's an amazing way to celebrate the arts that the arts that UBC creates. It's, it's, it's a beautiful way to see what the theater department is doing, but also just a great way to celebrate the end of the year, going into spring and going into the time of love.
7: Thank you. Hi guys, I hope you liked that interview and are fully convinced that you should all come see Triumph of Love. So, if you guys don't know the details of the uh, play, I'm just going to give them to you right now. Uh, The play will start, the first uh, official premiere of the show starts tomorrow night, March 19th, and will go on till April 4th tickets are eleven fifty, and the show will be at the freddie wood theater at 7 30 p.m so that gives you a couple weeks to um, come down to the freddie wood theater and check out this uh, musical um, it'll get you ready for spring and summer and glorious sunshine the other thing uh, since you guys are listening to the arts report right now we are again going to be hosting doing a ticket giveaway. Special
1: perks for people who listen to the Arts Report, just saying.
7: Yes, and um, we really, really encourage you, if you want this free pair of Triumph of Love tickets, to call in to the show um, at any point um, before the show ends. Um, Or if we don't uh, get any calls at this moment, we'll be posting it up on the Facebook um, out, out on our Arts Report Facebook page. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And please, 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 if you, um, this is a great opportunity to um, get free tickets to go see a really fun musical.
1: And I've been down to the Freddie Wood Theater, and I have to say the set design looks amazing. I haven't seen any actors on it, of course, but from what I can see, looks pretty good even with no actors. And again, repeat, what's the number for people who want to call in and they don't know the number? 604
5: 822 8648.
1: Alright guys, that's the number. Don't miss this chance.
5: Alright, and now coming up, we're just going to have a quick little PSA break, but we'll be back with an interview by Michael Harker, one of our awesome arts reporters. So stay tuned on CITR's Arts Report here on 101.9 FM.
0: When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the
7: first day.
11: Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 blah. blah. Explosion. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. we got all types of crazy for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Arts Report.
5: And now we're going to have an uh, interview by Michael Harker, one of our awesome arts reporters, who did a interview with uh, Gail and Louise from... The Hallelujah Praise Production. Enjoy!
6: Hey everybody, this is Mike with The Arts Report, talking to you about Good Noise Vancouver Gospel Choir's Hallelujah Praise, Motown Meets Gospel. Last Sunday, I took a trip to Ryerson United Church for the fourth annual Hallelujah Praise Gospel Music Workshop and Concert. To be honest, I was a little unsure of what to expect with this project. The last time I went to church, it wasn't to be sung to, but harped on. But Good Noise Vancouver Gospel Choir is not about sermons or guilt trips. They're about top-notch, Covenant-award-nominated choral and musical entertainment. Seventy-five people attended the all-day workshop on Saturday, and in a matter of 24 hours were ready to accompany Good Noise in a Gospel Meets Motown concert in front of a jam-packed audience. After their last rehearsal and just before the show started, I got to sit down with the artistic director Gail Sutterman and the guest musical artist Louise Rose for a quick conversation about it all. I am, admittedly, musically naive, so I had to ask Gail right off the bat, what is gospel music?
10: My broad definition of gospel is it's usually not always sort of a spiritual context of, of text, of lyrics, yes. married with oftentimes the the popular genre of the day. And right. that's how it's sort of developed in different places. So you can hear southern gospel with that sort of bluegrass feel and, and all of that. Sure. But um, um, up through the churches and then one of the reasons of putting the whole idea of Motown and gospel together is yeah. there's just such a cross influence between popular music making its way into the church. When I was growing up, heaven forbid, that was... It, I was one of the ones, that, um, a, a gospel singer, pianist, songwriter named Andre Crouch who just passed away. That was my first introduction to gospel music when I was like 11, 12 years oh. old. I heard his record and I just went, what on earth is this? Right. So, because I grew up in a very conservative, musically conservative church, yeah. there's a couple of pieces that he does, one called Bless the Lord, O My Soul, which is a little more hymn-like, but it has a little feel to it, and sure. I, sort, well, I just went, oh, I've got to explore this more. So I spent all of my teen years just searching out that music, right. and he was influenced by the popular music of the day, they brought it into the church, and then people like Ray Charles took the church music into the popular music, and people were ticked off at him for that, but it's, so it's, you know, there's no dividing line in that sense.
6: My first exposure to this sort of music would be in a church setting, just mm-hmm. singing hymns and whatnot. Yeah. But there's some really closed restrictions for the type of music and the type of expression in that sort of for,
10: From avenue. the church you came up in? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh,
6: and from what you're telling me, uh, that is not so much the case when it comes to gospel music.
10: You know, it, it depends. And, of course, it's very different in Canada. From mm. the, You just even have to go across the border to Seattle. Right. Um, a fellow that I used to do a lot of music with, Sonny Byers, who was a choir director in, in the black churches there. And there is what you would expect in terms of gospel music that... that, Evangelical. uh, Not evangelical even so much because I come from an evangelical background Mm. and that's to me very different than... Because when I... See, it's all terminology, right?
6: Sure.
10: Because I associate that with right-wing conservative um, sort of idea, which um, had its own kind of... And interestingly enough, in that... Genre like we're talking sort of the Canadian Baptist churches and what we call the Alliance churches and the, the Evangelical denominations, they have gone not to gospel music but what they call either worship music or uh, it's a contemporary. Um, it's sort of like a gospel rock service, in a lot of ways. And they call them worship teams, and it's like a thousand decibels, and mm-hmm. and there's nobody. Of course, it's over and, and over and. It's there isn't that communal sense of singing anymore. I grew up in a church where it was a communal sense of singing, where we could all hear ourselves. We all learned to four parts. Now there's that performance aspect. And yes, in our situation, because we're a community choir, we do performances. We we don't put ourselves into a, sort of a church format. We call our people audiences, not congregations. and And in fact, Good Noise has a lot of non-church people in it. Um, In Canada, I would say the last 15 to 20 years, the gospel choir movement has taken off. You now have gospel choirs in universities. You have York University that has a gospel choir. You have University of Toronto that has a gospel choir. Um, And they take for credit. It's not even just an extracurricular anymore. People are are loving it. And of course, Montreal was the sort of the foundation, the Montreal Jubilation Gospel Choir. Mm -hmm. They were... Sort of the premier group originally in Canada that everybody knew. Now there's the Toronto Mass Gospel Choir, Nova Scotia Mass Gospel Choir. On the west coast, we have several now gospel choirs. So it's really it's taken off as a genre that it's not necessarily associated with church anymore, although you find it in church as well. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs>
6: As it turns out, the sleepy Sunday morning sing-alongs that I got all through my childhood and adolescence were not in the same vein as gospel music. I don't remember seeing Ray Charles in the hymnal, do you? No. Gospel music, as it turns out, is a point of intersection between various themes and musical genres like Motown or even contemporary pop. Importantly, it is reinvented in every performance which is informed by the individuals involved. Nevertheless... I can't help but wonder how a diverse city like Vancouver responds to a genre that is, albeit wrongly so, inextricably tied to the religious experience. In a city like Vancouver, which is pretty vast in terms of different uh, ethnic origins and cultural points of reference, what sort of value do you think gospel music has for audiences here?
10: I think it's growing the like the, the actual value of it mm. and what I see from our audiences and what I hear from our audiences is when people in our choir say to maybe their work colleagues or just you know, acquaintances do you want to come hear my choir sing? Oh, what's your choir? Gospel choir. No, that's okay. Yeah. And they say, no, no, no you, you, you want to come hear this. And they'll come and they'll say, oh, that's nothing like I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Because it's well, I aim to have as polished and, you know, really doing the, uh, doing the music justice as best we can. Um, it's not—I wouldn't in any way claim that we are authentic in 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 so far as if you heard uh, bona fide black gospel choir in the states, we don't do that. We don't have like what Louise was saying yesterday in rehearsal. as we were in one of the songs by this time everybody would be fallen out and everybody would be given praise and everybody we don't have that in our culture we don't have that freedom that came from growing up in it and knowing it and understanding and just you know that's also a cultural thing as well Um, and I'd say the difference too between the churches and gospel music Canada and the US the the political life is also very much a part of in the United States through the black churches precisely, and we don't have that in fact what we do in certain ways subtly Mm -hmm. if you look at you know what i grew up in which is sort of the evangelical right wing they have Mm -hmm. tied themselves to a certain political thought but they don't use their church sunday morning most of them to preach from the pulpit and to have their meetings during the week and and that all came up a lot through the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. The churches were the place where things happened in order to facilitate voting rights and facilitate all of those types of things as well. So it's so it's a it's a big picture thing when you talk about gospel music.
6: I find this point compelling. Churches have been used not only as places of religious worship, but as places of gathering for various social or political issues. Churches throughout history, particularly the African-American history that ties in closely with gospel music, have been places of refuge and a platform for disenfranchised and politically muted people to be heard. In a similar, and not unrelated way, gospel music functions in forming communities, which is a basic motivation for Louise Rose in her musical endeavors.
5: Bring people together yeah. to sing, because we learn about each other when we
10: sing. Mm-hmm. I think more so than when we sing. well, could be more than when we sit across the table from one another. However, singing, when we're singing, we're learning. We're learning about each other. We're learning about ourselves. Sure. Learning
5: how to be together. How to to make music together. You often. Are required to put some of your stuff into the garbage pail when mm. you enter the door in order to be open to the spirit of well certainly the spirit of the conductor
6: yeah. and and what's occurring in the room right so it's a vulnerable environment some days it is yeah, some days it is
10: uh, and, and often a very affirming environment too. absolutely, absolutely. You know and and I think through our vulnerabilities, we are affirmed a lot. Yeah. You know, and it's not always vulnerable. I think a lot of these people feel quite vulnerable, the the workshop participants, yeah. because I it's thrown be thrown music, not just music thrown at them, but the kind of music, yeah. um, asking them to learn quickly and by ear, because many of them come from a singing culture of reading music, and that's their right. comfort zone. So they've had to go through this whole process. Some of them still aren't. Going to be completely comfortable today, but I know that they're going to take out of it sure. as much as they possibly can. They probably yet don't believe that they will do well, but right. they will. And they have the support of 150 other people. Yeah, that's right, them. around them. So, yeah, there are those that that will, you know, take this away and go, I've got several emails last night. Wow, what a great day. What a great day. And then I got a couple of emails from people. Oh, dear, I felt so. And so, could you please could you please you know, type out all the words and send them to me and do this, and the fretting ones, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and just to assure them that it will all be good, it will all be fine, it won't sure. be perfect, but it will be what it needs to be today. Cool. And they will be the ones to, to make that happen, together with all of us.
6: Before the performance began, Gail told the audience she was interested in creating a concept of community. That really is what The weekend was about. 75 people from the area signed up for a workshop on the Saturday and by Sunday had an incredible performance ready for a fully stocked audience. On a slightly larger scale, everyone in the church, whether singer or audience member, whether sitting, standing or dancing, was invited into this conceptual community. Good Noise Gospel Choir provides an energetic, fun, and, yeah, spiritual experience for anyone that gets a chance to see them. You can see them next on May 30th at the Fraser View Mennonite Brethren Church for their season-end concert featuring three youth choirs. Information is available on their website at www.goodnoisevgc.com. That's all for me. Thanks for listening.
1: guys welcome back to the arts report
5: and you're here with uh, myself rohi joseph and ashley uh so we are going to be uh, giving you some uh notice notifications about some cool events that are going down Mm -hmm. um i'll start off actually go ahead yeah uh i'll i'll let y'all know about a, a play that is about mental health um So, Theatre for Living has been creating controversial, innovative forum theater plays since 1981, and they will be having nine shows in Vancouver uh, this March 20th to 28th at the Firehall Arts Center for their piece Maladjusted. Maladjusted is an audience interactive uh, play about the mental health system created and performed by patients and caregivers. Mm -hmm. To give you a better idea of what that means... uh, They've they've made some videos of the cast telling their stories with mental health and what those experiences bring to the stage. The play weaves together three narratives that explore the way that a mechanized, rigid mental health system affects people accessing care and also those providing it. A young teenager struggling with sadness over her friend's suicide is misdiagnosed by her doctor. A young homeless man who is legitimately taking prescription meds gets thrown into dangerous circumstances by social workers, and the caregivers who are from within a mechanized system trying their best to help. Maladjusted is forum theater, which means it is an audience-attractive theater style that opens up the stage to allow for greater dialogue. What happens is that the play is performed once, all the way through, with no interruptions, ending on a crisis, which takes about 30 minutes in total. Then the play is performed a second time, this time, audience members can yell stop at any point, get on the stage, replace a character, wow. and resume the scene with the goal of shutting uh, the narrative in or changing the narrative in a way that will result in a more positive outcome. In this case, the goal is to take a more human-centered approach to mental health. So if you guys are interested in this play, Maladjusted will be on in Vancouver, March 20th to 28th at the Fire Hall Arts Center, 8 p.m. each of those days.
1: That's really interesting. I like the idea of actually physically going up to kind of, uh, I guess, like change how the play goes.
5: Yeah, although it would be kind of intimidating, I I suppose. But at the same time, yeah, more power to the audience.
1: It's kind of like uh, like in a way of um, helping people Mm. really kind of get into the issue and maybe fostering some sort of, I guess initiative in people to do that in real life because this is a fictional stage of course but then if that happened in the stage and then people could be inspired to do that in real life too
5: yeah for sure and maybe it's a way for people to heal over some Mm -hmm. regrets that they may have like i wish i had done this and in just by doing it in a play maybe that moment where you intervene when somebody is at their most vulnerable may help you feel that bring closure to an event uh or Maybe help promote you to do the same in the future.
1: That's amazing. What
5: that's have you really got cool. to tell us about, Ashley?
1: I have something that's a little bit different from all these like really great like social activism plays. Mm-hmm. This is the Vancouver Bach Choir, one of the largest choral organizations in Canada, and they're bringing an epic masterpiece to the Orpheum March 28th at 8 p.m. with Mendelssohn's celebrated 1846 Oratorio Elijah. Led by music director Leslie Dalla, the, core, the choir will be joined by the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, as well as four outstanding Canadian soloists, baritone Giles Tompkins, soprano Evelyn De haye I think I said that right, mm-hmm. mezzo-soprano Christina Sasbo and tenor Adam Fisher, in telling the dramatic story of the historic prophet, uh, in whose name this work is titled. Elijah is confronted in this tale by a series of hardships, the most significant of these, a devastating drought, which leads him praying to the biblical God for rain. The concept of this work has a certain timelessness to it. The theme of water and humanity's desperation over this resource has a distinct relevance to today's crisis. You know that uh, I think that Canada's, like thinking about selling their water or something.
5: Oh yeah, that's to Nestle. Yeah, yeah that's so it's weird. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's it's something that's being protested heavily, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully it does not go through because they're selling it for something. I forget the exact numbers, but I believe it was like two fifty for like a million liters. Oh
1: no, like two
5: fifty as in two dollars and fifty cents very <laughs> per million liters mm-hmm. of water. It's it's sad. It's a sad state of affairs.
1: Yeah, so that definitely has a distinct relevance. Mm -hmm. In 2015, severe droughts plagued many regions across the world and water scarcity is among the top environmental threats. And here's Canada with all our rain, and we're going to maybe sell it, maybe not. (laughs) The concert is also timeless for members of the choir who have revisited this work over several decades. This is the fourth concert of Elijah over more than 30 years by the Vancouver Bach Choir, which is heading into the 85th season. And again, this is on... March twenty eighth, eight PM or PM. Do not miss it. I heard it's going to be amazing.
5: Well, that's everything we have for this week's edition of the Arts Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been listening to myself, Rohit Joseph, as well as Ashley Park, hey. uh, and Jake Costello will be back next week as well. So, if you we'll missed
1: have... his like beautiful radio voice,
5: <laughs> <laughs> he'll be he'll be coming back after his adventures at the TED conference. And now. Uh, just going to let you guys off. Uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Don't forget about the tickets. Don't
5: forget about the ticket giveaway, which now we're going to post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So uh, take a look at our Facebook page for the ticket giveaway to...
1: UBC Triumph of Love. Exactly. Take it away, Rohit.
5: All right. Uh, Till next time, folks. Uh, we're out. And see you next time on The Arts Report. Uh, have a good week. Stay tuned for Arts on Air, coming up right now on CITR 101.9 FM.
11: From CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, this is UBC Arts on Air. I'm your host, Irene Dell. Each week, we feature the ideas and stories of students and staff within the Faculty of Arts at the University of British Columbia. Today, Julie Walkley, Director of the immensely successful Arts Co-op Program and current President of the Canadian Association for Cooperative Education. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Ira. It's a real thrill to have you here. And I want to begin with a sense of... What is the co-op program for those who are unfamiliar with it? And why do you think it's been such a hit? Hmm.
4: Well, a co-op program is uh, an educational model where students combine multiple full-time paid jobs related to their studies or their career interests with their degree program. So in uh, the Faculty of Arts at UBC, if students come into co-op, they have to do at least three four-month co-op terms before they graduate. They do the first two years of their program In the usual fashion, and from there they start adding in these four-month co-op experiences. Um, Co-op actually started over a hundred years ago at the University of Chicago in the engineering faculty, and we've had co-op at UBC for over 40 years, um, starting in engineering and science, and I uh, was hired to start the program in arts in 1999, so about 15 years ago. Does
11: a student have a choice, or do I come to you and I'm an English major, I'm a psychology major, what do you have, or do I say I want to work in this particular field?
4: Mm-hmm. So. Uh-